Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and our co-host Charlie is not here this morning, but I am sitting down with Young Voices contributor Eric Suarez. Eric, how you doing today? Good. Thank you. Thank you for the invite, Nate. Having a really good day. Thank you for being here. And you were telling me beforehand you're in Miami right now. Is that right? Yes. Beautiful weather today. Very sunny. Probably going to go out later today, get some some pool time. But all is good. All is good around down here. Very different for us up here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's, it's officially starting to look like fall or winter. It's uh, like 45 degrees outside and supposed to get down the freezing. So it's going to be very different uh weather-wise for the two of us. Now, you've got this uh, You've got this piece out, and it's talking about... Uh, AOC was on Face the Nation, and she was talking about the sanctions in Venezuela. And as a libertarian podcast, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about Venezuela in the past, and you have a connection to Venezuela. Do you want to let everyone know what that is? Yes, well, I'm, I was born in Venezuela. I was born in Caracas, 1999. You can say I'm the first generation that actually experienced Hugo Chavez. When I was born, he was already three months in power. So I grew up uh, watching the country collapse, uh, watching the socialist policies uh, being enacted and destroying not only my country economically, but also politically and the society itself just collapsed down. Um, uh, that made me have to leave. I left Venezuela when I was 13, almost 14 years old. And I went to Peru where I had uh, had to finish the studies. And then I came here to the U.S. Okay. And so how long have you been in the U.S.? Already five years. Five years. Five long years, yeah. Uh, I came here as a student. So I saw a lot of things in college that you will think, uh, you will, as a foreigner, you will not expect until you leave them. Uh, but yes. What, what kinds of things are you talking about? Well, there's a lot of radicalism in U.S. colleges. I think that people sometimes don't really believe it that much, don't think that it is as bad as it is, but it really is. And I feel I will even say it's worse than sometimes it is openly uh, viewed in social media or somewhere else, because I guess they show you the more peaceful uh, radicalism, if you want to call it like that. But uh, having lived it, having seen and having even talk with some of the people on colleges. Um, the references that they have are very, very dangerous for uh, a peaceful society or a, a society itself. So, Does it concern you coming here and then seeing some of that on the college campuses that the, uh, that the U.S. might be headed in the, in the wrong direction, the direction that you uh, left your home country to get away from? It really does. It, it, it always is a very... Uh, shocking experience because you you always think well it cannot get worse sometimes it does and i feel like well kind of linking it with what we have been seeing in the last few weeks with the whole israel-palestine conflict i mean israel-hamas conflict um we have seen a lot of uh, of violence a lot of very terrible justifications and moral relativism in schools that just tells you well this is very dangerous what, to what extent uh the they the Radicalism can justify what just happened in Israel. So there's a lot, and, and I, it doesn't stop there. I feel like it, there some it can be very, it can be it can get more dangerous than that. 
So you said that you saw Venezuela collapse. Now, do you remember, you were pretty young at the time, do you remember uh, Venezuela being in really good shape, uh, the prosperous times, and then when it started to change, or was that when you were a lot younger? That was when I was, um, I guess you could say that the collapse, the real economic collapse started a few years before I left. Uh, that's when uh, the the oil price started to collapse and the, you start seeing a lot of uh, bread lines to get food. You start seeing uh, that the uh, supermarket shelves are getting emptier. Uh, there's no food. Nobody can, uh, the inflation starts rising to incredible terms. Um, so that's one of the reasons that we left the country. Uh, before that, you, you could see the country collapsing in other ways. You would see that the society itself was getting very violent. The society itself was getting very repressive. You, you could see the government um, increasingly censoring, increasingly persecuting, increasingly doing all these things that now we know uh, just led us to be in a dictatorship. But I, I, I guess I, I lived through and I remember most is that transition process. So I hear a lot of stories before I was born of what it is, then I live the transition and now I can see uh, where it has led us to. Now the people that are in Venezuela, I was gonna ask, do you, you still have a lot of family there? I have a considerable, considerable amount of my mom's side of the family. Yeah, I assume times are, are still really, really rough back home for them, right? Yeah, it gets it gets difficult. It gets some it gets very difficult. But, um, there's ways to help from from here, so it's um, so we do we do what we can to to you know for them to be good and help them. Now the the people that are there do they do they know? I mean, I'm sure I'm I'm sure they do. Just trying to look from an American perspective and a, a, a libertarian perspective, we blame the government and their policies. Is that the feeling among the uh, a lot of the people there too that it was bad policies, or is it that these evil, greedy businesses uh, left uh, left the country, and or that the evil American regime putting sanctions on the country, and that's what happened? Or do does everyone kind of understand what policies led to this happening? I would say that uh, uh, let's say eighty percent, seventy percent of people do blame the the government and the socialist government of Maduro and Hugo Chavez. Um, problem is that there is still this thirty percent that may not be well aware of how it was the policies and not the people. So there's a lot of people who hate Maduro. I will say that number goes up to ninety percent of the country, even ninety five, but they still see Hugo Chavez as a reference. When it, when Chavez was here, it wasn't this bad. So there's still some some a group, a very small group that thinks like that. And then there's a you know the the number goes a little bigger when you, well, it's not only the policies, but the U.S. sanctions also affected us. And there's a lot of people who still believe that way. So there's I will say it's it's very divided, but most the the bigger amount of the population do know that the real cause of the Venezuelan economic collapse and political collapse and everything has been the socialist policies that Hugo Chavez started in 1999. All right, I just wanted to, to lay that out before we play this AOC clip uh, that you had an article responding to, and she's on Face the Nation. She's 
uh, talking about the sanctions in Venezuela. Now, as a, I've said the word libertarian a bunch of times, libertarians don't typically agree with sanctions. I don't really like sanctions all that much because I don't know what gives our government the right to place sanctions on other governments, but that's just... Uh, you know, me wanting to limit our government's power. Uh, I want to play that clip for everyone so they know uh, what we are talking about here. Let me pull that up and we'll play that so people can hear it. But additionally, I think we also need to examine the root of this problem, because if we are constantly engaging in foreign policy that drives people to our southern border. In this specific instance, uh, U.S. sanctions that were originally authored by Marco Rubio began and precipitated, certainly took a large part in the driving of populations to our southern border. Shortly after those sanctions, those broad-based sanctions— You're talking about Venezuela. Yes. Shortly after those broad-based sanctions were enacted, we started seeing uh, dramatic increases in these populations that were coming to our southern border. And so we have to to address the root of these population movements and the migration crisis, and we also have to address the domestic U.S. policy issues when it comes to immigration reform. But you know the Maduro government has also been responsible for large Absolutely. parts of that. Are you saying that you want to rep you want the Biden administration to pull back pressure on him? I think we need to re-examine the nature of these sanctions. There are sanctions. A thing that I took uh, that I took issue with was her saying that we needed to examine the root cause of these problems. And she said that those words root cause uh, several times. And do you think that these sanctions are the root cause of the problems in Venezuela? The, 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 she couldn't be more wrong about that. I, I think that at this point, uh, well, we also have to know the context of when this was happening, right? Because she starts giving these interviews as soon as New York is being overwhelmed by a wave of migrants, and most of them being Venezuelan. And uh, when uh, Mayor Eric, Ab uh, Eric Abrams, I think, I forgot his last name, when the mayor of New York starts coming out and saying, we cannot allow, we cannot keep holding this because this has become a real crisis for the city. Um, I think with that context and knowing that AOC has always been a person or, or a politician that has promoted these uh, open borders, everybody should be coming in uh, kind of policy is backfiring on her. So she's trying to wash her hands out of the situation of any responsibility and just saying, well, the root cause of this problem is not my fault or it's not these policies that we're enacting. It is that uh, Marco Rubio put sanctions on Venezuela and that's why they're leaving, which cannot be further from the truth. And there's a lot of data and, and reasons that you can tell that this is not what is really happening that the sanctions are not the real cause of Venezuelan collapse. Well, you uh, you talk a little bit about that in your piece, and she just seems to be kind of wrong on the timeline here. Venezuela collapsed before these sanctions were put in place, right? Correct. Uh, if you want to divide the kind of sanctions that there are in Venezuela, there's two kinds. Uh, you can say that they are the oil industry sanctions, which are imposed on PDVSA, which is the national-owned uh, oil producer. And then um, then you have the personal sanctions, which are sanctions that are directed to certain individuals, with, which actually they, those started during the Obama administration, which she doesn't mention either. But those sanctions are basically directed towards people who have been accused or proven to be members of the regime that has have acted against democracy or in human rights violations. 
So those those sanctions are for them not to be able to get their money and spend it in the U.S. and be part or travel to the U.S. or uh, and all of those things or invest in the U.S. etc. And then you have the old sanctions that came during the Trump administration, actually well after 2016. Um, but the timeline doesn't add up because if you see the, the Venezuelan collapse, you see that it all started in 2013. You see the bread lines are in 2014, in 2013, 2014, up until 2017. We have seen this economic collapse that has been obvious for many years that it all started way before the first oil imposed sanctions started. And then she just comes and says and say that the mass migration started as soon as we get these sanctions imposed. Well, I will disagree because when the sanctions started were imposed, the mass migration did not start. I will say that mass migration started after um, around 2018, 19, uh, and it was due other political reasons inside the country. So you have to understand about Venezuela that up until 2021, uh, up, up until 2020, 2020, um, there was still a lot of hope in the country that there could be a change of regime. And there was still a lot of people who believe in that change. That's why we see massive protests in 2014, 2017, 2019. And then we see the the rising of uh, former, uh, let's say, um, President uh, Juan Guaido, which was internationally recognized and he got a very big movement behind. And up until then, there was still a lot of hope. It was when that hope collapsed that you start seeing a lot of mass migration that started first within South America. So you saw a lot of Venezuelans going to Colombia, Peru, Chile, Argentina, most of them by foot. And then it is when Biden um, comes into into power, comes into into the U.S. and starts getting more relaxed on uh, border policies that a lot of that migration and that influx starts going to to the U.S. So do you think, uh, just to play devil's advocate or, or just to ask a question on her behalf, do the sanctions play any role right now? Are, is, is there an idea that if we didn't have the sanctions, then Venezuela would have bounced back by now and everyone would be doing great if we, did, if we didn't have these sanctions on them? Is that kind of the idea that she's trying to get across? Or uh, do you think she's just completely off base on this? Well, I think that uh, that's what she probably believes, or that's what she wants to wants us to believe, or her audience to believe. But I think it couldn't be more wrong. I think that the sanctions actually benefited Venezuelan people in a lot of ways because there's actually this. Uh, I always make this. I, I use this story of things that happened during the sanctions, and it is that a lot of the business in Venezuela was oil. So the main source of revenue for Venezuela. Uh, let's say the socialist oligarchs was uh, through oil and 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 dealings that the, that was through oil. When that revenue gets blocked, it's not like oh well we're just gonna be lose all our money now. No, they have to do find other ways to get revenue through you know the government and and government contracts and things like that. So they start investing in other things. So the, it's actually very interesting how the you start seeing more businesses in Venezuela, like to, to launder money. You start seeing a lot of more food b- uh, businesses as well. And, and that actually had a counter effect 
into the into the society, even though they, the people were still being oppressed and there's still a lot of uh, persecution and things like that. You saw that the the regime's need to to keep laundering money and to keep earning revenue forced them to look for alternative sources of revenue. So that's I feel like that is the that's one of the reasons why this is very wrong. And the second is that um, the Venezuelan currency, due, due to inflation, was completely um, destroyed. Completely destroyed. Something very similar to what we're seeing right now in Argentina. Uh, what happened is that for a while now, the Venezuelan people have been using U.S. dollars to 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 uh, exchange and to participate in the, in the in their market. So everything is dollarized. Everything is unofficially dollarized. The country is unofficially dollarized. So that also had a positive effect on the economy and on the on the people's lives. So I I do believe that uh, while. AOC and the squad and all these and all of these members, they want you to believe that it, it is due to the, let's say, the sanctions that the country collapsed. You, you, there's no there's no evidence of that. It will actually be the opposite. You can make a, 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 an opposite statement against that. And I do believe that the people who have been the most damaged for the um, for the sanction has been the regime itself. Because you have cut a, a large sum of revenue that they had, that they are they did not have access for the longest time, and um, well, that revenue was used for a lot of bad things like human rights violations, like financing the the military, like financing all of that revenue did not go to the people that they claimed that they were helping or the social programs because they they weren't benefiting at all. It came for Russian military instruments or the financing their own military, financing the the torture centers that there are still in Venezuela today. And that's why I've been always a very a big uh, pro-sanctions advocate on Venezuela specifically, because I, I, I know that these things are happening and I know they're being funded by this revenue. And I think that should stop. And I and that's. That's the main logic behind these sanctions specifically. And so then when it comes to the mass migration from Venezuela, um, I guess it looks more like this is a correlation not being causation issue. The timing is more coincidental uh, with what you were saying, people losing hope, things getting worse, and then deciding that it's actually just time to give up hope and leave. And that mm-hmm. happens to be coinciding with us also having these, uh, these some of these broad-based sanctions, as she calls them. Now, when it comes to the migration from Venezuela, the immigration into the U.S., what are your feelings on how the U.S. is handling our immigration uh, right now? Is the southern border too open? Do we need to be closing that? Uh, should it be easier? Like, what are your thoughts on how we handle this? I think I think it's terrible, and it has been terrible even before Biden, but I think Biden just made everything even worse. So... Look, I'm, I'm a big pro-immigration advocate. I, I believe that immigration is good. I believe that immigration uh, can be a net, it is a net positive for any nation that does it. But I also believe that it has to be done the correct way. We cannot just be letting anybody uh, in without knowing who they are, what they're, where they're coming from, things like that, because there, there is a need of security, especially when you have a country as big as the U.S. and as involved internationally as the U.S. is and as hated as the U.S. is by many other countries. 
So with that context, we need to have a strong security to know who we're letting in. At the same time, we should be making it easier for the right people to get in. I think that the Biden administration has been doing the opposite. I think that if you come here legally or the right way, it's actually harder for you to get your documentation and to get inside the country and to, and to be legal than if you come through the border. I think that if you come, like there, there has been a lot of wrong incentives. I, I like thinking about incentives. I think that the wrong in incentives, incentives are being given out right now. And that that's why we're seeing a huge increase in, in, the, in the border crossings. And then you also have other issues like uh, gangs that work throughout the Mexican border, uh, uh, you know, drug trafficking that is also ha ha making a, a huge thing in, in, the, in the US, discussing a lot of deaths and things like that. So those things come hand in hand. Uh, and I do believe that, you know, immigration needs to happen, but it needs to happen the right way. And it needs to be, we need to protect the border and, and get more incentive for people to come the legal way. How do you do that? Making it easier for people to come the legal way and to give the incentives for them to do that. Yeah, the, the government's typically pretty bad at making things easy and simple for, for, right. <laughs> for people to do. Uh, they're, they're not great right. at that. I was going to ask, how was it difficult for you that you come here on a student visa? Is that since you went to, uh, what was it? Was it Penn State, I think, that you went? Yes, uh, Penn State. Uh, it, was, it was relatively easy, yes. Um, it, as a student, it was easy. What is, it, it is a little harder um, to stay I guess after your time as a student is done, that's that's a challenge. Um, some people get it through jobs; they get a, a, a working visa. That's it's, that's easier, but um, some people need to apply for other kinds of visas as well. Um, I think that when you have, well, I've been lucky to have a really good education back home as well, and I, I have to acknowledge that, and that makes it easier for people like me to come legally. Um, still there is a lot of people who don't have the same benefits as I have and that are still really good hardworking people that should have a chance if they're good, if they're, if they're bringing to, you know, to, to make a positive, I think they should have a chance. That's why I've always been very pro-immigration. The problem is that now what I'm seeing is that um, when you don't have a control about these, you know, issues, uh, I've seen a lot of, let's say, criminals come mm -hmm. through the border and, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like, be anything with these words. It's just that I've seen mass migration happen when I was in Peru. And at the beginning, there was very good people coming in, very good people coming in. And then now you see Peru that is being overwhelmed by uh, gangs and, and very dangerous people that used to operate in Venezuela that now are operating all over the, all over the region. So that also brings another issue that happens when you are not you don't have your borders were protect. And, and I think that's also a negative for the Venezuelan people in those countries, in, in the US, in Peru, in, in, in none of these countries, because it, it gives a bad image. And that changes public opinion about your, about who you are and about all these things. And, and that brings a negative. I think that immigrants um, benefit from good border security because it allows that uh, people who you know, can cause a bad image on who you are and your country and things like that, uh, don't come in. And I think that's a positive too. 
Yeah, it sounds like we're we're probably pretty similar on immigration. I just want a system where we can run everyone's name through that country's database. I just want to make sure that they're not on the run for something that's also a crime in the United States, especially if it's a violent crime. And right. the government's not, you know, if someone murdered their family and they're on the run and they're trying to come through, I think it's a decent idea that we check and make sure that the government's not looking uh, for them for, right. for murder or for any type of other, you know, assault, something violent, something where you hurt someone. I'm not talking about they skipped on paying their taxes or something, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> you know, right. I, don't care. I don't care much about that one. But, uh, you know, something, a violent crime where someone was, was injured, I, I would like to know about that. And other than that, I, it shouldn't be that hard to put someone's name in the U.S. database and print them a passport and, and let them come into the country after that, uh, issue a social security number or whatever it is. But are, I was going to ask, are you a citizen or uh, planning on getting your citizenship? Ship or have you? I'm, I'm, I'm here on um, I'm here on TPS. Okay. Temporary protection status. It's uh, this. I don't know if you if you know a lot about that, but it's basically a, te- a protection service that a status. I'm sorry that um, people from countries who are in difficult situations get as a protection as, as a, for them to stay here. Um, that was first enacted by President Biden. Uh, when he, as soon as he got into 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 presidency, and um, it has just kept going, and um, I think the latest update that they do. So basically, if you come here to the U.S. and haven't left the country um, before a specific date, you can um, and you you know you are not under uh, you haven't committed any crimes and things like that. You can get that benefit, and then um, if you. Uh, well, that's basically it. And then you get that benefit and it gets renewed every year. It's not something that is like a law. It's not permanent. It's just uh, you basically depend on the president or the or the USCIS uh, willingness to keep considering your country part of the list of countries that receive this benefit. Um, so it's basically a limbo. You never know when that's going to stop. And I have a lot of issues with that as well. Um, so I feel like you know, instead of trying to, and, and I think I mentioned this in the article as well, uh, my main criticism of AOC is that she wants to solve Venezuelan issues, but is trying to like actually benefit the Venezuelan regime. And there's other people who are actually trying to solve the Venezuelan issue here and abroad, and they're not getting half the, the view time that they would really deserve or, or need for them to, to make so, those changes. And one of them I mentioned in the article is Maria Elvira Salazar, who, who I believe is a good job on that sense. Okay. And yeah, I was just thinking about that limbo process that you're in. Like, are you, are you worried that you're going to wake up one day and that's just going to be gone and they're going to say that you have to leave? Like, is that just a constant fear or are you okay with it that? Or? I, well, I'm not okay with that. It is a fear because it, as I said, it depends on, on the willingness of USCIS and president Biden or whoever is next. Right. Uh, which is, it is, you you're not safe at all. It's it's not something guaranteed. Um, so so it's it's not. It's I'm not okay with that. I'm actually a bit <laughs> advocate for for Congress or something to solve this issue because if one day uh, all the amount of Venezuelans that are here just I don't know we become not eligible to work because without that you could, you're not eligible to work. You're not. Uh, you you get a deportment uh, <clears throat> uh, deportation notice and all of these things is going to create a chaos and 
you know, I, I just don't think that's going to be any positive for the country as well, especially right now. Well, that's so, one thing, uh, if we could just spend a couple minutes on it and then we got to go. But uh, one thing I've been advocating for is uh, in, in the U.S., you typically would look at Democrats as people who are more pro-immigration, more uh, giving people citizenship or amnesty or whatever it is you want to call it. And Republicans would be, uh, you know, you'd see them as more on the side as wanting to deport everyone and, uh, you know, <laughs> less less immigration and my feeling has been uh, when you look at a lot of immigrants from other countries, I actually think that the people would land more on the conservative political spectrum, uh, conservative to libertarian, given the countries that they've migrated from. Uh, but the fear that you're talking about, in my opinion, would give people more of an incentive to support the political party that they think is going to help them stay in the United States. And I actually think that if Republicans would flip on this and be more willing to say like, yeah, everyone who's here, we want, these are good people. We want everyone to stay here. Let's find a way for these people to stay here. Uh, that they would just win all the elections in a landslide afterwards. If we just made <laughs> everyone citizens and everyone had the right to vote. And we said, no, don't worry about it. We're not going to send you back to you, back to your country. You're Americans. This is, this is great. You know, do you, Am I am I way off base on that? I I feel I, I've had similar thoughts about that in the in the past, and and you know sometimes I get very hopeful, sometimes I get a little less hopeful about that being a possibility. But I do believe that immigration is a huge issue, especially among Latino voters, and Latino voters are a growing community, especially here in the U.S. And I think that Republicans, if well, they already been gaining some ground there, but if they want to completely get that you know, settle, um, the immigration is a very big issue, but what comes with it? You also need, I feel like there needs to be a concession, right? Because you cannot have, uh, you know, immigration. Yeah, let's make it, let's make it happen, but no border security. That's, mm -hmm. that's what re removes a lot of people out. You have it's to, get, not both, about open you have to get both at the same time. You have to say, we're yeah. going to do this and we are going to, let's just say, build a wall or we're going to have full border security and we're going to have, you know, you would have to agree on both of those things at the same time. Because if you get one without the other, uh, if you say, well, everyone's going to be a citizen, no one's going to be worried about going back home. Well, then you have the biggest flood at the border that you've Correct. ever seen. And so you you would need to get both of those at the same time, which is very difficult for the government to do. Exactly, and that's that's what makes it the challenge. And I don't I don't see nobody really pursuing that <laughs> that track right now. Very few people. Um, but yeah, sadly, that's that's the state of, of right now. But you know, I never you know you cannot you cannot lose hope. You have to keep arguing for it for it to happen. But I think that right now that's a that's that's a far bet. But you know. Um, yeah, I think there's few people who are doing it. Again, I, I like to go back to, to Maria Elvira because she does a good job with her policy recommendations, especially she right now is arguing something very similar to Venezuelans. And I want to I wanna like, because we touched on the TPS thing, she's promoting this um, bill called the Venezuelan Adjustment Act, which will serve as something very similar to what happened with Cuban refugees here in the U.S. that, you know, they got all naturalized as citizens 
due to the crisis that happened and because the, the, the exponential growth of the population was increasing so big. Now, what's my biggest criticism of the TPS? That TPS deadline of the date that you have to be here keeps expanding. So it's being used as, okay, doesn't matter what time you go to come in, if we're just going to keep uh, pushing back the date and you're going to be here legally. If, if you keep doing that, it's going to be very hard for a consensus to arrive, okay, let's naturalize them through the Venezuelan Adjustment Act, but what, which date is going to be the date that we're going to say, if you were here before this date, that's, the, that's when you get this benefit, and if you're after, you don't. And the TPS date keeps moving forward. Like not, before it was, if you were here before 2020, now it's be, if you were here before August or July 2023, now you get TPS. So that's also creating an issue. So there's there, Venezuela, the, the Venezuelan migration is a whole topic itself. But mm -hmm. I think that at the end of the day, if we wanna, if we really wanna tackle it, we have to stop pushing the AOC's narrative that is because of the sanctions. Yeah, that that's that's where that's how you don't solve the issue. Well, that's how we actually understand what happened. the The key is to understand why Venezuela actually collapsed and how to make sure that we don't do the same thing here. Or that other countries around the world don't do the same thing. We don't have a time machine, so we can't fix why Venezuela collapsed, but we can learn why it happened to make sure uh, that we don't do it again. And then you can actually identify the problems and and what needs fixed uh, for Venezuela. In the future, right. so Eric, could you uh, could you tell everyone where they can go to find more of your work, or where they can keep up with everything that you're doing? Yes, uh, my ex or former Twitter handle. It's know. an ad <laughs> at Eric Suarez N, uh, all together, uh, lower cases, and that's the same for my Instagram. You can find me there. Both uh, I keep posting. I post everything I, I publish. And I talk about Latin America a lot, about U.S. Latin American issues in the U.S., U.S. foreign policy towards Latin America, all of these issues. So, yeah. That's okay. All right, Eric, thank you so much for your time today. I loved it, and I'd love to have you back on again sometime. Same. I love it, too. Thank you very much.